Aloha and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. This is Michael Benner from Maui, Hawaii, and uh, happy 4th of July weekend. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us today, whether you're live or listening by podcast. We're doing Lesson 6 in the Kabbalion, K-Y-B-A-L-I-O-N. This is an ancient book that was reprised, really, rewritten and published in 1908 in Chicago, anonymously by the three initiates. But the actual Kabbalion, which has been lost in history, is an ancient document, so old that the origin of the name itself is not even clear. You can get the Kabbalion for free at Kabbalion.org on the internet and electronic Kindle edition or Sony reader. Barnes & Noble has their electronic reader also, I believe. The electronic version is $1.25, but the PDF is free. And again, just go to Kabbalion.org. You can do that after class today and download the PDF, K-Y-B-A-L-I-O-N, Kabbalion.org. As I've said in past classes and past weeks, uh, the word is very similar to Kabbalah, which is a book of Jewish mysticism. And because Moses was raised by Egyptian royalty, it's quite likely that a lot of what Moses wrote in the five books of the Hebrew Bible, or what Christians call the Old Testament, the Pentateuch was pulled to a large extent from ancient Egyptian and even Greek philosophy. Nevertheless, the names, by all appearances, are coincidental. Kabbalah is spelled with a C or a K or a Q. Kabbalion is a completely different word, so don't be confused by that. The ancient Kabbalion has seven principles, often called hermetic principles. The philosophy is called hermetic philosophy, after the prophet of ancient Egypt, Hermes. And his middle name was Mercurius. They called him Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus. Trismegistus meaning three times great, uh, three times magnificent. And Hermes, of course, became a god in the Greek pantheon. Mercury became basically the same god in the Roman pantheon. But historians as early as Plato, who wrote about Hermes, uh, see him either as a real person or perhaps a lineage of teachers. Uh, for those of you who are somewhat familiar with Chinese Taoism, pronounced like a D but spelled with a T, T-A-O, pronounced Taoism, you may know that was penned or written by Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu in Chinese means the sage or the wise man. And like Hermes, may have been a series of teachers rather than 
one particular teacher, a lineage handed down. In the case of Hermes, sometimes he is called Toth, T-H-O-T-H. He's referred to in the Jewish uh, Old Testament, so-called, the Hebrew Bible, and sometimes is referred to as the Atlantean. There is a belief in many circles of scholars that the Hermetic philosophies that we're teaching here through the Kabbalion come from Hermes, but originate with Atlantis. And Plato also wrote about the existence of Atlantis over 2,500 years ago. That's when Plato wrote about it, and even then it was ancient history, going back perhaps uh, six or 8,000 years before the pyramids before the uh, earliest traces of civilization. I find that absolutely fascinating, and there's even some speculation that the Atlantean philosophy was brought to this planet from elsewhere. Um, Perhaps the Sirius, many of the ancient temples are actually observatories, even uh, there's even a uh, uh, how can I say it a, a a building for lack of a better term in Casa Grande, Arizona. Casa Grande, of course, in Spanish, big house, and it's a three-story house, <laughs> and it was in ruins in the 1500s when the Spanish discovered it. And they said to the local Indians, uh, what's the deal here? What's with this three-story house? Uh, All of you folks seem to live in uh, tents and teepees or in caves and caverns, and you're not living in big houses like this. Where did this thing come from? And the local Indians told the Spanish in the 16th century, that that was left from the other people that went away. They were called the Hohokam, which in the Native American language of the Indians of that area, um, along the Gia River, Hohokam means those who have gone. Well, it turns out that the archaeological evidence is that was an observatory. And along with research and a number of other observatories around the world, it seems ancient people were very interested in the planet, or the star, um, rather the star Sirius. And um, so what is about, what is it about the star Sirius? Uh, Some have speculated that the Earth was populated by beings from Sirius. This is the Chariot of the Gods, Von Daniken's work. Uh, perhaps the root race of men commingled with astronauts from other planets. And the latest research seems to indicate that the human beings are not a single lineage that evolved, but a series of four or five different species of humanoid creatures, one of which survived and now populates the Earth. Pretty fascinating stuff. So we're going back with the Kabbalion to the ancient Hermetic 
the Egyptian philosophies of how the world, how the universe works, and it just doesn't get any older than this. You can study the ancient Chinese and Tibetan material, and it too goes back several thousand years. Uh, but this is like the original stuff. This is as far <laughs> as far back as we can go. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that the seven principles or seven keys of hermetic philosophy are one, mentalism, that everything is mind, that the entire universe is a manifestation, a reflection, an extension, if you will, a byproduct of one mind, that everything is related, everything is from the one thing, as the ancient Egyptians were prone to say, the one life or the one thing. The all, or the all that is. And that everything springs from that, so everything is related. Everything touches everything. This is like an ancient version of Carl Jung's collective unconscious, that we share a mind on some level. And this accounts for intuition and psychic phenomena and... Um, even the tendency that we all have to know when somebody's staring at you. <laughs> there are a lot of people that do not believe in psychic phenomena, but if you stare at the back of their head, they'll know it, and they'll, <laughs> they'll turn around and bust you. So how do we know, right? You have a feeling because everybody's your cousin, everybody's your uncle, your aunt, your sister, your brother. Uh, genetically, we have proved that we all carry the same marker. And this species that survived, called humanity, came from a small tribe in the Middle East, in northern Africa, a tribe that at one time was as small as 10,000 people. We're all from that tribe. We all carry the genetic marker. Um, there's just one race of human beings, and that's the human race. In spite of what more ignorant people might tell you about different races and sub-races and such, it's not true. We have the genetic evidence now that we all come from this area around the pyramids, around Egypt. We are the survivors. Uh, mentalism is the first of the seven principles, the second is called the Law of Correspondence, and this is the ancient hermetic concept of as above, so below, and as it is below, so it is above, that that which is out there is a reflection of what's inside of you, and what's inside of you reflects the world out there. Essentially, spirit and matter are two forms of the same thing. Now, Einstein understood this ancient philosophical concept before he created, invented, or innovated, or you could say, I guess, discovered the most famous equation of his work, E equals MC squared, that energy and matter are two forms of the same thing. 
the ancients said spirit and matter, energy and mass, just a synonym for spirit and matter, and that they're convertible. This is, again, an ancient concept that Einstein proved mathematically by including C, which is the speed of light squared. So E equals MC squared really proves this ancient allegory that this ancient concept that the spirit and the material world are two forms of the same thing. This is the law of correspondence in said in the simplest way. Uh, the third principle that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the law of vibration, if matter is really energy or spirit, then it vibrates. Energy, spirit, vibrates. Matter vibrates. Everything vibrates, including your mind, the one mind, the first principle. The mind vibrates. And so by controlling the vibratory rate, the frequency of the mind, you can influence the world around you. This is the precursor of what today we call the law of attraction, what Christ described as you reap what you sow, what in Eastern philosophy we know as karma, what Moses and Confucius described as the golden rule, of treating others as you'd like to be treated, because you do reap what you sow. What goes around comes around. You get what you expect and go where you look. And this also is the law of karma. Vibration. Four is polarity, and we talked about that last week, um, or two weeks ago that uh, everything has a positive and a negative, a yin and a yang. Um, five, we talked about last week, which is the uh, idea that there is a rhythm between the polarity, that the pendulum swings to and fro, and that the measure of the swing to the left is equal to the measure of the swing to the right. We can use mental management and emotional management to anticipate the swing of the pendulum and apply a law of neutralization that allows us to anticipate and account for the fact that if things are really good right now, there's going to be a downturn. And if things are really bad, hold on because they can only get better in all things. In all affairs, there are seasons and tides and cycles and rhythm. This is the rhythm of the ancient Hermetic philosophy. That brings us today to Lesson 6, which is the law of cause and effect. And next week we'll talk about the seventh and final key principle, which is gender, the masculine and feminine nature of things very similar to polarity and rhythm. All of these, of course, are part of one thing, and they all flow from the first principle of mentalism, that everything is mind, that there's just, as the metaphysician will often say, there's just one of us here. There's only one thing or one life at work. The example I used last week, a material example and somewhat limited, 
is to consider that every human being is one brain cell in God's brain. You would have to include then the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom and say every animal, every plant, um, even on the cellular level, every cell of every human being, every animal, every plant, on the molecular level, every molecule of a human's body, a human's brain, an animal, a plant, even the molecules of the mineral kingdom for plants and animals and humans are made out of molecules from the mineral kingdom. You you consume minerals when you eat plants. That's the whole idea. You draw on all those previous kingdoms. That all of that is part of the one life, the one thing. That this universe once existed as a tiny little pinpoint of matter that exploded to such a magnificent size that you have to be pretty sophisticated in mathematics and geometry and science to really begin to comprehend just how enormous this universe really is. And there are some pretty cool sites on the Internet, by the way, that demonstrate on a macro level and a micro level the size of the universe, clusters of galaxies, the number of galaxies, some 150 billion separate galaxies within any given galaxy, maybe 150 to 200 billion stars. Here we are on a seemingly insignificant one of those galaxies, the Milky Way, and that every star you see in the sky is just your galaxy. <laughs> and the nearest star is over four light years away. It's just a scale that is mind-boggling. And then if you continue down to the cellular level, to the microscopic level, uh, uh, well, cellular level is microscopic, to the molecular level, and then to the subatomic level, again, in the opposite direction, you have scale that is absolutely mind-boggling. To consider that it's all connected, it's all part of one thing, is exceedingly important concept, especially as we discuss these seven principles of the Kabbalion. And if you're a religious person, it can only enhance your understanding of religion. If you're spiritual but not religious, it'll replace the parts of religion that you reject as too simple, too dogmatic, and too contradictory with a really beautiful uh, overall concept of what's actually at work here in the universe. Ancient concepts combined with modern science can be exceedingly liberating for those students like you who are willing to commit a little bit of time to its study and then to contemplate what you have learned with your study. You're reading of books, attending classes like this. You have to do both. You have to study and you also have to contemplate 
or meditate, ruminate, <laughs> reflect or introspect, and then to be mindful in your meditation and your waking state. Those are really the three approaches as I describe them to developing your personal and spiritual understanding of reality. Study, meditation, and mindfulness. We've talked a lot about mindfulness in the past, and we'll discuss it more in the future as well. Today's concept, the sixth principle of the ancient Kabbalion, is the principle or the law of cause and effect. This is a rather simple concept like the others, and yet its implications are extraordinarily profound. That we live in a cause and effect universe means that we live in an orderly universe, a universe of law, a predictable universe to a large extent for those who understand and apply the laws of cause and effect. We're not only talking about Newton's laws of motion when we discuss cause and effect, like the third law for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That's just one of many laws. Gravity is a law, although the behavior of electricity and its relationship to electromagnetism is a law. Light behaves according to laws of physics and metaphysics as well. In other words, things do not just happen in this universe. There is always law at work. There is a cause behind every effect. Now, there are many situations where the casual observer or even the scientist cannot account for a particular effect, does not understand and therefore cannot explain the cause behind the effect. And even if we were able to do that, every cause of every effect is an effect of a previous cause. So you daisy, you can, you can daisy chain your way back to the beginning of the universe. Everything that happens, you could say, is rooted in the beginning of the universe. Consider also that the word cosmos, cosmos, as in cosmic, means order. This is an orderly universe. There's great satisfaction and, and dare I say, contentment that is available to the student who begins to consider that this is an ordered universe. It is not random. It is not chaotic. It is not disorderly. Um, it, it, again, works according to certain principles or laws which can be understood if not observed in every single case because it's just too complex. In the Kabbalion by the three initiates, there is a reference in this chapter on cause and effect to considering that 
you know your parents well, your father and your mother, in most cases. Some of us are orphaned. Uh, some of us are children of divorced families, and you could make an argument. But in most cases, you know your parents. You may even know your grandparents. Uh, some of us may even know our great-grandparents. Consider that you have two parents, which means you would have four grandparents. You would have 16 great-grandparents. And... 25 great-great-grandparents, if you go back, the farther back in time you go, generation by generation, the greater is the number of relatives in your family tree, from your two parents to, I mean, it's squared, right? To your, um, is that the way it works? Two parents, four grandparents, would you have eight or 16? I have to sit down and do the math. But you can see as you go back generation after generation, uh, you're going to have more and more and more people in your family tree the farther back that you, or the further back that you go in this lineage until if we go back to the beginning of time, there's going to be tens of thousands of men and women pairing up having children that have children who have children who have children who have children in order for you to be here, right? Well, so it is with the world. If a piece of dust flies by your face, there's a story in that piece of dust. Where did it come from? What is it made out of? What are the causes that led to its existence to its creation and to the fact that it just now floated by the front of your face All right. sometimes there is reference to the butterfly effect that a butterfly flaps its wings in China and if we follow cause effect cause effect cause effect cause effect down through the chain we can see how it contributed to a hurricane in the Atlantic Ocean on the other side of the world. It may be complex, and usually is, but nevertheless, this is law. This is part of the ordered nature of the universe that every effect has its cause, and every cause behind this effect is an effect of a previous cause all the way back to what is sometimes referred to by philosophers and mathematicians as the prime mover. What is the prime mover? What is first cause? And first cause, whether it's religion or philosophy or science, first cause has to be... Uh, at some point, either the Big Bang, if you're limiting yourself to the physical, empirical, material universe, or your principle of absolute, the divine, God, if you're more of a metaphysician, or including in your worldview, 
not only a physical universe, but a metaphysical or spiritual universe. So is first cause purely physical, or is it metaphysical? Well, it's up to you to decide, but nevertheless, you have at work, both on the planes of the material universe and the metaphysical universe, if you believe in such a thing, and since you're here in this mystery school, I suppose you do, or you certainly considering it and asking the question, then your cause is mind. It's the divine will or the intention of the absolute, the Godhead, the creator, to manifest this universe according to law. Now, is God bound by law? We know that silly philosophical riddle that is sometimes asked, could God create an impossible task? Could God create an object too big for God to lift? You know, and these are conundrums largely of language. Um, They don't really serve any real purpose. There is no answer because There is no question here. Suffice to say, there is cause behind every effect. Everything exists because there is a cause behind it. The Kabbalion in this chapter on the sixth principle of cause and effect talks about the throw of the dice, for example, because Many people believe there is something called chance or happenstance or luck that would seem to stand outside of the principle of cause and effect. And again, I invite you to read the book at length. It's not a long book. It is profound. It is a pithy uh, book, but it's relatively short. And each chapter, likewise, rather short so it doesn't take a long time to read but the three initiates this book was written anonymously in 1908 so the three initiates whoever they happen to be say there is no such thing as chance or happenstance in fact they point out the word chance is rooted in a word that means to fall the way dice would fall. So the whole idea of chance or randomness is really rooted in the throw of the dice. They used to be bones. (laughs) The old shaman would cast bones. Even today, dice sometimes are called bones. But people misunderstand the 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 way this works for example uh if i toss a coin or throw a uh, let's stay with the dice if i throw a six-sided die repeatedly and it comes up uh with a high incidence of ones and twos and threes and fours and fives but i don't get any sixes 
sooner or later, that's going to even itself out. And yet, it's real important to keep in mind that the throw of that uh, die is independent of all the previous tosses. I'm going to use the coin. It's a simpler example because there's just two sides. If I flip a coin and get heads ten times in a row, you might think that the odds of getting tails on the next toss are greater than 50-50. That seems logical. It seems to, quote, make sense. I've had heads ten times in a row. It's got to come up tails. Well, that part is true. Sooner or later, it's going to come up tails. But the fact that you have these previous tosses has absolutely no bearing on any successive toss of the coin. It's always going to be 50-50. So people that go to Vegas with this confusion, you know, they're feeding their nickels (laughs) into the slot machine saying, this thing's got to pay off sooner or later. No, it doesn't. Actually, it doesn't. (laughs) Plus, they're not random. They're programmed by the... uh, by the casino, the game is rigged, and it's regulated, but it's still rigged. The house always wins every game of chance, right? That's why they bring you the free drinks, and if you lose enough money, they'll even comp your room and so on, because the, the whole game is based on the fact that people don't understand the simple principles of cause and effect. So... How hard you flip the coin, uh, the amount of muscle that you use, uh, the surface of the table that it falls upon. And if we go back to the dice, exactly the same thing. The roll of the dice, the shape of the dice, the amount of effort that you put into rolling the dice, the way the dice tumbles off your hand, the influence, if any, of air currents in the room, the bounce of the table... All of these things affect the outcome of the dice. And so you may say, well, what I mean by chance or what I mean by randomness is the fact that if I throw it enough times, I'm going to get ones one-sixth of the time, and I'll get twos one-sixth of the time. And I, well, that's not chance. That's law. You've got six sides on the die. You throw it enough times, each side is going to come up. If it's a balanced, if they're not loaded dice, right? If the dice is truly balanced. So many people just have a misunderstanding of what chance means. Again, rooted in the word to fall, or the 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 root of the word means to fall. But it's not randomness. There's nothing random about it. It's a matter of percentages, of probabilities, and you may have studied statistics in college. There are formulas of, in the study of statistics. I found the field harder than calculus, actually. I, I did better in calculus and other higher math than statistics 
the what we called stat uh, statistics for me was challenging. I found it very difficult. But there are laws at work in the flip of a coin or the toss of the die. There is always cause or multiple causes behind every effect. So what are the implications of this then? Living in an orderly universe where nothing happens randomly, nothing happens for no reason, there is always a reason. Well, the idea is that there are many planes of existence. There is a spiritual plane and a physical plane. That there are further mental planes and emotional planes. And the student of mysticism, the in particular the student of the Kabbalah or Hermetic wisdom, ancient philosophy, believed that he or she could apply the law in the area of mind, which includes the emotional nature, the mental and emotional, your ability to think and experience emotional feelings, that you can apply these principles, in this case of cause and effect, and manifest a particular outcome uh, to account for, to anticipate, and to apply laws of cause and effect to the mind. And therefore, position yourself to be cause in your life more than effect. You'll always be both. Consider the word because. Why did you do this? Well, I did it because blah, blah, blah. Well, that word is be cause. There is no word be effect. <laughs> However, that's where most people stand. At effect. It's called helplessness and victimization. And not only do most people choose, though not consciously choose, unconsciously or semi-consciously choose to be victims and to be a helpless effect of life they never even I mean they never even think about the word because meaning because they don't know how to express control or to move from the effect of life to the cause of life through mental and emotional control. I pointed out in the newsletter this week that went out that what passes for casual conversation in most cases is a pity party of individuals appealing for attention and sympathy based on their helplessness. When I was teaching in Los Angeles, I would assign at one point in pretty much every class I ever did, I would suggest to my students that they go out and listen to conversations in public 
you know, to the people sitting next to you in a coffee shop or at a bus stop or around the water cooler at work or whatever, you know, uh, without being unethical or offensive, you can eavesdrop if you just pay attention. And what you'll hear passing as casual conversation is a very high percentage of it anyway. Let me, you know, a conversation about, let me tell you how helpless I am. Let me tell you what a victim I am. Let me appeal to you for your sympathy about how miserable my life is. Because all of this stuff is happening to me and I have no control over it. And if you say why, they'll say because <laughs> I have no control. Because, because, because I am an effect or a victim. I am a target. People sometimes they'll wear a t-shirt with a target on it or they'll say, what, do I have a target on my forehead? That's their world view. I often say people want love, but they'll settle for sympathy. The idea of give and receive, of sow and then reap, is not understood by most people. They don't really apply it. If you stop them, say, slow down, sit down, take a breath, relax. Now consider the way to get love is to give love. They go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But most people are, <laughs> in practice, they just go out looking for the harvest, even if they didn't plant any seeds. They want to receive love, and then they'll give love. They want to harvest, and then they'll plant some seeds. Uh, we're working the program backwards when we do that. So we become then... Uh, irresponsible we reject responsibility and accountability for our lives and find some kind of crazy mixed up comfort perverse I think in hanging out with other victims and sharing stories about how helpless we all are much of what passes for politics is just acting out your helplessness and victimization. you got to blame somebody. So you blame the government. That's the reason I'm miserable. Or the Republicans blame the Democrats, and the liberals blame the conservatives, and people blame each other. It's their fault. They caused this. I had nothing to do with it. Well, do you see the irony? If you reject responsibility for your life, then you become a victim, a target, an effect, because you caused yourself to be a target, a victim, or an effect. You have caused your helplessness by accepting as a belief system or a worldview that life is something that happens to you rather than being something that flows from you. 
Now, both things are true. We just did a lesson last week on rhythm, and we found out that all truths are half-truths, that everything is relatively true to a matter of degree. Some things are very, very true. Some things are very, very untrue. But the only absolute truth is found in the spiritual domains. In physical, material world, everything is relatively true. It's a matter of degree. This is terrifying to most people. And so you'll find a lot of disagreement in the world. People say, yes, this is absolutely true. This is a fact. Well, it may be a fact, but that doesn't make it absolutely true. It's not always true, or it's not completely true. There is something else that's different, maybe not opposite, but just different, that's also true. That may not be true to the same degree. It probably isn't. Things aren't equally true when they oppose or when they're different. Right? It's all relative. It's relatively true or relatively untrue. So this is not really that complex, except most people don't consider it, and they haven't studied these really basic and rather simple laws of philosophy. So when you're first exposed to it, you get a little confused. It's a little bit dizzying. But it's really enough to know, I think, that if you feel like a victim or a target or an effect of life, you've made it true by pausing yourself to be the victim. You've set yourself up for it. And while that's not totally true, there are times when you will accept, yeah, I brought that about. But here's what I want to conclude with, that the Kabbalion really doesn't talk about. Along, <clears throat> excuse me, along these lines, And if we use the word control for cause, whether you create your reality and accept responsibility for being the cause and creating your reality, or in the vast majority of cases, you didn't create it by yourself, but you were a major contributor to the creation or the cause of this circumstance, or this situation, this event, this relationship, whatever. Or, if you really want to believe that you were blindsided by it, you were a complete victim, which is never true, but it may appear that way because it's almost absolutely true. <laughs> Whether you create a situation, contribute to it, or really believe you were totally blindsided by it, you're always responsible for two things, how you look at it 
and how you respond. People who buy into their victimness and their helplessness, their victimization and their helplessness, and whose social skills are limited to an appeal for attention and sympathy and pity with a bunch of other people who are helpless victims of life. And they look only at the extent to which life is done to them, which is true enough, but ignore the other truth that life comes from you. And in cause and effect, the cause precedes the effect. So what is coming out of you is primary, that's cause. What's done to you is the effect. All right. You've set yourself up for that. You may not be able to control or manage the effect, but you can manage or control the cause. In other words, said as simply as I can say it, you may not be able to control, manage, or influence what's done to you. But you can manage how you look at it and how you respond. And in managing your response, instead of reacting as if you're always in effect to some external cause, you can initiate a new cause, don't you see? By how you view, perceive, and by how you respond consciously to a situation, you can choose to be, like most people, the helpless effect and fight back, or you can initiate a, a new, more beneficial perspective and a new, more beneficial-to-you response, and put that into effect. Initiate, initial, first, begin. Be the initiator. And it's funny, we're even, the word initiate, you usually think if you were initiated into a group or a club, somebody even did that to you. <laughs> they initiated me. Once again, you're an effect rather than a cause. Be the initiate. Be the one who initiates yourself. If you are an initiate, you are the one that is initiating yourself, your worldview, your belief systems. Initiate your perspective. I'm going to look at it this way. I've reviewed all the different points of view, perspectives, attitudes, and beliefs, and I choose to look at it this way. And I've reviewed all the possible responses that I can imagine, and I choose this particular response, and as the initiate, I'm going to initiate this response. I'm going to put it into effect. This perspective, this worldview, and this response are mine, and I am putting it out there in the world as a cause. All you have to do is give up 
the false belief that there is some benefit in being helpless. The only benefit you get is sympathy. And it's not much of a benefit to sit around with a bunch of other helpless people wringing your hands and complaining about how unfair life is when in fact it's orderly and perfect. Everything happens for a reason. Every circumstance, every situation, every event, every relationship has its causes. And what could be more empowering than to consciously choose to be cause rather than effect. To say yes, in the yin and the yang and the relative truth of things, life comes out of me and is done to me, and both things are true, but the order is important. And unlike most people that lead with the effect, this has been done to me, all I can do is fight back against it, You can raise your consciousness, lift your awareness, redeem your brain to be cause. Because be cause and initiate anew again and again and again. Refuse to be the puppet. Stop dancing to other people's music unless you choose to. If you want to dance to that tune, fine. If you want to march to that drummer, march away. But if you'd rather march to a different drummer, sing your own song, cut those puppet strings, stop dancing, and initiate your life. Dream it up. Right? Whether you see it as a response to the situation that you're in or out of the blue, something completely new, be the one that initiates it. Be cause instead of effect. You'll still be affected by it and affected by other people's causes. But you can give up the helplessness and the victimization. You can manage your life to a large control, be much happier, much more satisfied, content, fulfilled, by emphasizing the part of life that comes out of you rather than emphasizing the helpless parts that are done to you. Right? Responsible means able to choose a response. And in the daisy chain of everything, cause, effect, cause, effect, cause, effect. I mean, Eckhart Tolle talks about this also and writes about this, how you can hand over hand daisy chain your way back to the beginning of the universe anytime you start to say, well, this was caused by this and and that was an effect of this cause, and that was an effect of this cause, and of course that came about because this happened, and that happened because of this, and it, 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 
it's like the parents and the grandparents and the great 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 grandparents thousands of years ago if this woman and this man had not gotten together these 10,000 people with you as the final result would not be here always cause and effect find your power in the cause right rather than the effect Another way, uh, another way I've often said it is even the matador doesn't really take the bull by the horns. This is an old world view. It's not wise. It is not the ageless wisdom. It is old world ignorance to fight what's being done to you. To think that good has to kill evil. That right has to demolish wrong by destroying it is ignorant good doesn't need to destroy evil right doesn't need to vanquish wrong it needs to save it to redeem it that's the purpose of the wrong that's the purpose of the evil evil is nothing but fear and ignorance you don't destroy it, you redeem it by applying love and understanding, wisdom, truth. Knowledge is the antidote to fear and ignorance. <laughs> this is love your enemy, don't you see? Work with it. You can be free. Somebody can walk up to you and call you a nasty name and you don't have to hit them in the mouth. You can learn to breathe and relax and even become compassionate and say to yourself, this person is ignorant. It's so sad. This person is foolish. What a shame. This person doesn't understand me and they are afraid of me. What could I do to take away their fear, to love them? Not in an emotional or, or romantic way. <laughs> it's the unfortunate result of using the word love, your enemies. It means stop frightening them and don't be afraid of them. How are you going to defeat hate with hate? How are you going to conquer fear from a frightened place? Dr. King, there's a very famous quotable quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. where he says, fear cannot drive out fear, only love can do that. Darkness does not eliminate darkness. Only light can do that. Cold does not drive out cold. Ignorance does not replace ignorance. And being in effect an helpless victim does not put you in charge. Being responsible and accountable and saying, well, I can't control this other person. I can't control what's already been done to me, but I can control or manage my perception, my perspective, my point of view, and I can control what I do with it, my response. I can't control the weather, but I can dress for it. 
or the sailor saying, I, I cannot control the wind, but I can trim my sail. I can't control the, the, the waves, but I can surf. You see, this is the wisdom of giving up helplessness and victimization, always being the target, hanging around with other helpless victims, whining about what an effect you are of life when you could be cause, just because, just be cause. Now this, again, is only going to be part of the story if you don't have the other principles of mentalism and correspondence and vibration and polarity and rhythm the previous five principles of the Kabbalion, now six, cause and effect. Next week we'll talk about gender. We'll, we'll overlay masculine and feminine and pull a little more on polarity and correspondence, duality, and talk about the third element of the Trinity. Wherever there's masculine and feminine, there has to be a third element. The trinity of Father, Son, Holy Spirit is really Father, Son, Mother. And it draws upon the ancient Egyptian trinity of king, prince, and queen. The king or the father is spirit. The queen or the mother is matter, mater. The prince or the son or the daughter is the offspring, that's the middle element, that's the third element in the polarity, in the gender. The third way or the middle way in Buddhism is what breaks you out of the prison of the appearance of duality and either or and absolutes and brings you into permutation, variation, in combination. If there's a third way, <laughs> holy cow, maybe there's a fourth option. And maybe there's a fifth possibility, and maybe there's a sixth variation, and a seventh alternative, and, it, and so on and so forth. Instead of working just with true or false, you get multiple choice. Instead of having only a black crayon and a white crayon, you open up the box and you have a rainbow of colors. Approach your life as cause of all of these choices and all of these options, all of these possibilities. But you have to reject helplessness and victimization to be powerful. Right? Not to control other people, just to control your response and see you as initiating the situation. Can you imagine there'd be no gardens and no farms if people looked at the ground and said, oh, damn, somebody's already used it. It's full of weeds and briars and brambles. It's already used. There's no food growing here. 
<laughs> but hunting, gathering people eventually decided they could cultivate. They could pull the weeds and till the soil and initiate, be cause, plant new seeds and <laughs> grow what they wanted instead of what the wind blew in or the birds dropped in as they overflew the area. All right, good. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, I'll have my computer back on Tuesday. I apologize for the lack of slides. If you joined us late, you may not have heard me say my computer's in the shop. I'm doing this by telephone without the benefit of the slides. I also cannot this week take your comments because I, I have my wife's computer, but I don't have the passwords necessary um, to access the website. So we'll be able to do all of that next week for the final lesson. And then the following week on the 17th, the Wisdom School is going to go to 30 minutes. It'll still be free, and the newsletter will be free, and the podcast of the Mystery School will be free. But it's going to be shortened to make room for a premium training that'll start at 1.30 Pacific Time, 4.30 Eastern Time. Um, a premium training, and in the newsletter this week, I'll tell you how to enroll for it. It's only a couple of bucks a class if you pay in advance. And I'm sure the class size will be much smaller. You'll have an opportunity to talk to me uh, throughout instead of doing a lecture or a presentation as I have been doing in the premium uh, training. You'll be able to ask your question anytime during the class, either by text or telephone or Skype. We'll have slides, and we're going to do what we've done in the last few weeks with the Kabbalion. If, if you look at the archives of the Mystery School for the last three years, I've pretty much done a different presentation every week, a different topic. And at the end of the presentation, it asks for questions and comments. This is going to be different. This is going to be an in-depth training. Initially, we're going to talk about the basics. We'll talk about stress and anxiety and fear. We'll talk about the powers of the subconscious mind. What does it mean that you have two minds? How do you access consciously the subconscious mind? We'll talk about brain waves and altered states. And then we'll begin to get into specific books and, and specific topics. For just a couple of bucks a week, you'll be able to roll up your sleeves. And, of course, the premium classes, if you've paid the tuition, you'll get special passwords emailed to you before each class so you can get in. So the free mystery school is always going to be here Sunday at 1 o'clock but it'll be followed at 1.30 by the premium Wisdom School training. All right. And I'll have that information in this week's newsletter, and you'll have a couple of weeks to enroll. The first class will follow the Mystery School on Sunday, July 17. That's two weeks from today. If, for whatever reason, you are not getting the newsletter, 
or maybe you received it and you unsubscribed from the newsletter. Go to my website and click on the button that says free newsletter. Then you'll get the links to these classes every week and you'll be able to find out how you can enroll um, either for one week at a time, for a 13-week term, or the lowest tuition fee is to enroll for a full one-year period. And all of that information will be in the newsletter. Now, if you want further than unsubscribing, if you, in unsubscribing to the newsletter, ever chose the box that said, do not contact, I can never send email to you at that address again. What you'll need to do is use a different email address. So maybe you have a Yahoo account or a Hotmail account or MSN account or your local ISP, your DSL provider, your cable provider, whatever has given you one account. you got to get another one. But that will only be a few of you. I just wanted to mention that. If you've unsubscribed, it's easy enough to resubscribe. It's only if you chose do not contact that I'll never be able to contact you at that email address again. If you're already getting the newsletter, you're in good shape. You'll continue to get the newsletter. If not, go to theagelesswisdom.com. After the W's, include the T-H-E, theagelesswisdom.com. Um, and right on the very first splash page, you'll see free newsletter. Click on that. You'll go to a page where there's a form. You can put in as much information as you want. The only required information is an email address and a first name is give me your first name and your email address where you want the newsletter sent, and you'll be good to go. You'll get the newsletter every Friday. All right. And that'll have the links and how to attend the free mystery school, which apparently you're doing right now, but many of you listen by podcast, and you may have picked it up at the iTunes store or some other podcast directory, and never even seen the website that it comes out of, the w's.theagelesswisdom.com. Let's do a quick meditation. We have a few minutes here. If you'll close your eyes and relax, hopefully this is a good time for you. Shoulders back, do a few head rolls and shoulder shrugs and close your eyes and uh, take two or three nice, slow, deep breaths. And as you exhale, create and sense a feeling of relaxation. Feeling very safe and very relaxed. You can also imagine yourself walking down the staircase. Just imagine yourself step by step going deeper and with every step becoming more relaxed and feeling safer. Or you could ride down an escalator or go down in an elevator if you want. Just feel yourself going deeper and more relaxed. 
muscles relaxing and unwinding. You can actually feel the letting go. And allow your breathing to find a natural rhythm. And at the bottom of the stairs, imagine walking out into a beautiful garden. And sitting down under a tree, perhaps next to a little stream or a pond. Allow my voice to go with you, but hear birds singing. Feel the peace and the contentment. Feel gentle breezes and smell the subtle fragrances of this beautiful place of perfect peace. And just reflect for a couple of minutes on how much and how often we see ourselves as victims and targets, helpless effects of a life done to us. Realize that you were taught first by your parents, then by siblings, friends, teachers, and others. That everybody is a victim or a target and that you're largely helpless. You could fight back. But most of what's done to you just happens to you. And now consider that this is an orderly universe, a cosmos, where nothing just happens, but there is a reason or a cause behind all things. And the first cause is mental. It's your attitude. It's your will, your volition, and your belief system. And in the cause-effect, cause-effect, cause-effect of your life, you can choose to be cause by initiating a point of view and initiating a response. That you can give up the seeming advantage or benefits, at least, of sympathy and belonging to a group of helpless people. Give it up. And tell yourself, I have choices. Always more choices than are immediately apparent. And because I have choices, I can be cause initiating my response initiating my attitude to be cause more than effect. Both things will always be true, but just as I must give to receive and so before I reap, I will be cause to manage the effect. 
Bring this simple wisdom with you back into the room. As you inhale fully, fill your lungs. Hold as you peek for a moment, and as you exhale now, open your eyes, wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, feeling fine. All right. So, newsletter for details on the new premium training coming up. You'll always be able to get the podcast newsletter in the Mystery School here at 1 o'clock West Coast time, absolutely free of charge, but for those who want to really wade in and get a nice training interactively and live. And yes, if you miss one of these paid tuition-based classes, keep the password. You'll be able to listen to the replay and download it to your computer as an MP3. Join us next week for Lesson 7 of the 7-Part Kabbalion. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Thanks a lot for being here. Mahalo and aloha from Maui. This is Michael Benner.